welcome to the Maxim Institute podcast. My name is Jason. I'm the communications officer at Maxim Institute. And today we're celebrating the release of the latest edition of our annual magazine, Flint and Steel. This latest edition, volume eight, is available right now at flintandsteelmag.com. As soon as you finish listening to this podcast, you can jump over there and order it in time to read it on your summer break. This year's edition is all about the give and take, the perceived conflict between generations. We hear these memes all the time. Boomers have wrecked the world. Millennials are the entitled snowflakes. Gen Z are the hope for the future. And who would Gen X again? The magazine is packed full of great articles exploring this topic. And to celebrate, I'm joined today by our executive director, Tim Wilson, and one of our contributing authors, Josie Pagani, who is the director of the Council of International Development. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Kia ora. Kia ora. Now, Josie, you've written a wonderful article for us on this idea of the worship of youth and glorifying young people and the age of youth as the gold standard for life, the years we kind of all long to go back to. But before we get into all of that and dissecting the article, I wonder, having never been someone of high enough regard to warrant an interview with any news outlet, would you tell me, what is it like to be interviewed by the BBC? (laughs) <laughs> That's very. Fun. I'm thinking of that wonderful um, uh, um, player for the for the women's uh, rugby team when she won the World Cup. And she, what did she call it? She called the BBC uh, the Better Be on My Best Behaviour BBC or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, I remember at the time, and I would have been golly thirteen or fourteen or something like that. And and we just thought uh, it was the bee's knees and that we we're really important. But we we were really playing up to what we knew they wanted, which was for us to be um, terrified of nuclear war and nuclear bombs, and we needed to exaggerate that as much as possible to to make it a good BBC show. But yeah, I mean, the, the BBC uh, journalist, I remember he came around. He sat down in the in the field, the athletics field, with us. We all sat around, and and you know, he kind of had this tilted head of compassion where he listened earnestly to um, a lot of rubbish that we all spoke, and um, and we felt incredibly important. I love, Josie, I love that you begin your uh, Flint and Steel article with that moment because it really pegs on um, something that uh, I've, I've, I've observed, which is, and, and, and look, I've, I've been guilty of, uh, I'm sure, at times during my media career, which is the notion that, uh, that young people, on account of their youth, have a special truth that is unavailable to anyone over a certain age. And um, and it's often you know this is often uh, repackaged, represented. It's it's at the heart of this whole generational uh, divergence that we're seeing at the moment, don't you think? Yeah, and also you know I look back on those teenage years and and even into my early twenties, you know I was riddled with anxiety, uncertainty. You know, I, to be honest, Tim, at the, at that time I was I was more concerned about whether I wore black eyeliner under my eyelids or over my eyelids, and you know the next day I remember after that interview. Um, I queued for about two hours to kiss Simon Le Bon at a Duran Duran concert. You know, so the the idea that what I had to say about the threat of nuclear war was was of great importance to the world and the world needed to hear my opinion um, was really not the case. You know, I mean, obviously youth can 
push things along with a sort of wonderful, blind, fresh certainty and absolutism of what's right and wrong. And, and you need that. But, but the idea that that's the end of the story, that somehow if you're young and you've got that um, vision and certainty and you, know, you, you absolutely think you're right, the idea that that's the end of it, that that's all you need to hear, that that's the most important thing you need to hear is just not the case. And yeah, as I say, you know, mostly, mostly at that age, you're riddled with uncertainties and you're trying to juggle your perception of the world as being, you know, deeply complicated and your relationships are un difficult and, and, and it's, you know, it seems terribly compromised with this absolute certainty that you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and look, I think that that, um, that blinding uh, idealism of, uh, of, of youth um, there is a there is a scintillating clarity to it, and it's 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 necessary. But it, if you you need to put it, I think in uh, in in context, in the context of the whole canvas of generations. So there is there is the energy and idealism of youth. Then uh, I but but fascinatingly, younger people typically aren't uh, engaged politically. They're idealistic. They're highly politically. Um, uh, maybe maybe they may be uh, able to speak about politics, but do they vote? Well, not as much as say people, uh, young young people certainly in New Zealand statistics, they start to vote from the age of twenty six on, and it goes up as as uh, as as people age because they see the utility of it. Um, I think it's really interesting, Josie, what you're saying because uh, you know I. Uh, I I was about to say, um, I don't like to play the blame game. Well, I think I do sometimes. That's fair enough. Everyone does. Um, but but I wonder if this is like an overvalorization of youth or a, a, a reluctance by older generations to claim the moral authority that has typically uh, been assigned to them in previous eras. I remember sitting in a, um, a speech made by a senior political figure to young people where he he essentially said, you have nothing to learn from the past. Everything is in your hands. You go and do it, which to me is, uh, it sounds almost like a, like an ideological or generational year zero. It's a horrible thought. Yeah, what rubbish, isn't it? Yeah. And and the thing, the thing, the way I like to put it is that, yes, you, you know, when you look back at some of the great movements in history, uh, the civil rights movement, um, anti-apartheid, you know, Arab Spring relatively recently, uh, um, uh, you know, Vietnam War, the uh, marches against the Vietnam War and so on. Yes, you know, young people had a huge role to play with the, with the clarity of vision and the enthusiasm and the absolutism of it. But in the end, it was adults that got it done. You know, it was the adults in the room that did it. So it was, you know, LBJ in America who who ended um, uh, the awful era of of Jim Crow. You know, it wait, was... wait, wait. Are you saying Lyndon Baines Johnson was an adult? I'm going to pull you up on that. I've read the biography. Far from it. <laughs> <laughs> LBJ. Anyway, anyway, yeah, let's keep yeah. Going. But yeah, you know, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela. You know, these were adults. And and so it's the I. I think it's the it's the it's partly the fetishization of that youthful certainty um, and then the sort of downgrading of maturity which I don't like and it's it's the idea that there's only one continuum there's only one bit of the continuum of age i.e. youth where you've got something that's vital and important to say 
No, that's not true. You know, and what a terrible message to give our young people that, you know, we're only really going to be interested in what you've got to say until a certain age. And then it's just some, you know, downward slope to a life of beige and washing the car at the weekend, you know, because we're not interested in you then because you're boring and suburban. What a, what a load of rubbish. I love, Josie, how you put it in your um your article where you say youth is an identity or making youth your identity is like a summer romance. It has a time limit on it. <laughs> and um, and do you did you feel that ticking as you were going through this BBC interview? Did you feel that ticking like I'm only valid now until I reach a certain age and then I don't have a valid opinion anymore? Is that something that you felt even back then? Absolutely. I mean, I you kind of knew that you were there not because of uh, you hadn't demonstrated any great analysis or or, or um, anything of great interest. You were there because you were representing the youth voice about you know the fear of nuclear war, and so you kind of played your part. And you have the sense of you know slightly fake sense. Not that we weren't terrified, because you know at that age you can terrify yourself with all sorts of things, but. Um, you know, there was a legitimate issue there, but but yeah, it was that I had that sense of fakeness, and it's the same. I think maybe it's you know, there's another thing there about joining clubs, isn't there, and and identities. And I think you're right, Jason. This it, the age thing that you know, the the boomer, okay, boomer, millennials, you know, Gen X, and so on. That there's a sense of it becoming an identity, like your ethnicity or your gender or something like that. And it just seems, you know, there's even some people. I think it was Pew Research who put out some research saying that now the differences between the generations are like a culture. You know, we've got we we've come from different cultures. I really reject that. I mean, I, I, I think it's it's not so much the difference in the ages is more like horoscopes. You know, you you read your horoscope, and yes, you know, I'm Gemini. I identify with you know, I, I like to party, but I also like to be on my own. You know, I'm the sort of complete opposites. And you go, oh yeah, that's me. And then you read something, you go, no, that's definitely not me. You know, no, I don't like to you know sit and read Reams of History all weekend or something. So. You know, it's a bit like you identify with bits of your horoscope, you identify with bits of your generational um, title, but, you know, like the bands that you liked or the, yeah. the ads that you saw on TV yeah. or the food, the sweets that you bought at the shop and, and so on. But it's not your identity. No, people forget that Metallica and Madonna both came from the 80s. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually still trying to forget that. So thank you very much for nothing, Jason. <laughs> You're more than welcome, Tim. But you didn't cue, cue to kiss Simon Le Bon and Duran Duran, Tim. I'm sure that that you wouldn't do. But lower yourself to that level. Well, um, I've, I've, I've come to have an appreciation of the work of Duran Duran um, latterly, but at the time, um, I was this sort of, I was one of those uh, sneering. Um, you know, oh, you know, that pop stuff, that's, I'm too good for that. Let me put on yeah. some some horrible, tuneless, gothic dirge that uh, will make me feel good about myself uh, living in the suburbs in Whanganui. Hey, listen, just in terms of, I think you've touched on something that is perhaps part of a, a larger aspect of, of the way that we create our identity now. And, and that sense that identity is not something that you inherit, but identity is something that you curate for yourself based on what promotes your psychological well-being. So the notion of even um, of, of age 
uh, as, as, as an objective reality is somewhat being sidelined in a sense, even as it's, even as it's being enshrined by these, these modes that you're talking about, you know, the, the, the notion that uh, your generational culture defines you absolutely. This, this, it feels to me that there's like two countervailing um, approaches here, but somehow they're becoming entwined and they're strangulating the ability of generations to actually connect with each other. Yeah, and, and I mean, we know that we're living in times that feel more divided than ever, don't they? And the idea that, you know, in this sort of Olympics of victimhood that we tend to, you know, use in, in, in identity politics, it's like now we've added age, you know, so that, um, uh, you know, whether you're a boomer or a millennial or a Gen X, you're, you're, you're more or less advantaged is the, is the implication. And mm. so, yeah, we're, we're kind of adding all of these layers of like, you know, a kind of you, you can mix and match the, the sense of powerlessness that you want to feel and make and, and construct this identity of, you know, fragility for yourself, one of which now is generational. And I just think actually the research counters that because the research that I've seen shows that actually um, you're more likely to share the views of your parents or your parents will be influenced by you you know actually the gap between the generations is not so uh, great so Mm. so it's 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 bigger in in areas like um, the things that we would call identity you know i.e you know what you think about climate change what you might think about um, um, culture or or gender or or, or so on. But when it comes to sort of the big issues about, um, you know, what you think about uh, a government or what you think about uh, regulation versus less regulation, more or less regulation or economic um, development or, or um, redistribution of wealth or, you know, the sort of big issues that politics used to be about, um, there's a lot more similarity between the generations and a lot more agreement between parents and and and. Children. Mm. Yeah, well, actually, it's a, that, that um, touches on something that uh, came up during uh, the, the discussions about uh, lowering the voting age, which is that one of the counter arguments to that was that uh, younger people tend to replicate the views of their parents. So you're not necessarily um, expanding the constituency of ideas by lowering the voting age. You're just uh, echoing it in some sense. I want. I do want to take out of you, Josie, lowering the voting age, given the discussions we're having, where are you at on it and why? Um, golly, it's one of, you know, I... <laughs> Having met my children, um, I, I don't think they should be voting at 16. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I just tend to think that, again, I like this idea of almost like a rite of passage that you, you know, you you become an adult and, and we, we trust you to have the maturity of views and a sort of nuanced sense of views that, you know, at a certain age we think you're ready to make big decisions like voting. The idea that you vote at 16, I mean, I yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I suppose it's that I, I'm not convinced it's a big problem that you don't vote at 16. Therefore, I'm kind of agnostic on it. And, and then I also think, you know, when I think back to myself at 16, when I look at my kids at 16, I mean, they're, they're now older than that. They're a few years older than that. And their views have changed quite a lot. Um, so, you know, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's a big enough issue for us to get overexcited about. I really like that you brought up um, the identity markers there, Josie, because it seems like it's a bit of a modern 
issue that in the past there was these ceremonies of passage from one stage of life to another and you could point back to now I've become an adult and there was all this preparation for that. You're on your way to becoming an adult. Here's the ceremony that's going to mark it. Now you're an adult. And there wasn't so much of a of a generational split because there were the children and the adults. Uh, it's quite a modern problem, don't you think? Yeah, and you're right. Those rites of passage, I mean, you know, I work in the aid and development area. There's one, you probably come across it, but there's one in Vanuatu which uh, used to be, you know, they basically invented bungee jumping, and that was a rite of passage in Vanuatu. That oh, I've heard jump. of this. It's, like, it, you, it's wonderful. But it's, yeah. it's bungee jumping without bungees. I think they use flax or something, don't they? That, so it's basically a tree that creates these amazing vines, and you find the right vine, you hope, and, you know, you're young, <laughs> sort of, 16 year old or something jumps off the tree and and on on this bungee and hopefully doesn't kill themselves is it is this yeah is this a way of um rite of passage or culling the foolish i can't well, think of yeah, the mortality right. right there yeah yeah but the thing i love about it is that the mother stands there with some item of your child from your childhood like a teddy bear or you know something that's been part of your childhood and you jump off the tree and if you as long as you survive they chuck the childish item away and it's the rite of passage that you've now become you know, an adult. And so, you know, yeah, there's a real celebration of maturity, of of kind of throwing throwing out childish things, right? And, and I think that's a really healthy thing. That's not to say your childhood is something that you want to kind of walk away from. It's that it, well, you don't have a choice, so you, you get older. And, and it, it's a really healthy way of saying, you know, there's something about the the certainties you feel in the classroom. I mean, gosh, I used to go in, I grew up in England, I was born in New Zealand, but I used to go on um, C&D marches, you know, anti-nuclear marches. And, and I remember going up to one of the American camps, Greenham Common, and we were protesting against Trident missiles. And, you know, I was with my mother and all her friends, you know, so these very nice, you know, well, well-spoken middle-class woman who was sort of singing awful songs and dancing. And across the fence is a whole bunch of working-class African-American soldiers, you know, guarding the base. And I'm, and I remember then thinking, well, I'm really uncomfortable about this. It's like, mm-hmm. how is it that we're all a bunch of, you know, middle-class liberals um, shouting at African-American working-class uh, young men across the fence, telling them that they're evil and bad and terrible? So what I mean by that is the certainties that you feel as a child, like, you know, this is wrong, this is right. Uh, I mean, think of Greta Thunberg. You know, mm-hmm. you, that's not how you make good policy. It's not how you have the solutions to the complex problems the world faces from climate change to poverty. So we should be celebrating that, that, that you can go from that absolute certainty to facing complex world where compromise is, is inevitable. It's that sort of flaw in the system. That's a really, you know, that's the point of our democratic system that you have to work around things to make things happen, to make change happen. Yeah. The ability to see, the ability to see gray is actually incredibly yeah. necessary because the human experience is not blinding flashes of light or darkness. There is so much in between, and and I'm not I'm not going oh woe is us because there is just this um, elegant monochrome. Far from it. What it, what I'm saying is that there are filigrees of um, 
of, of difference that we need to be attuned to if we're going to produce good policy, if we're going to be able to produce policy that actually understands the human condition accurately. Headlines are fantastic. They get your attention, but they don't nourish in the same way that that, that kind of, um, that, that kind of, what is the word, the, the, the understanding that uh, life is more complex than a headline, that will take you places. Yeah, and and the older you get, the more the you know the, there's actually again the science to back this up. You don't you don't get sort of more um, stuck in your ways. Actually, I mean, what you do, you you acquire wisdom, you acquire experience. You know what it's like to fail. You know what it's like to uh, um, have to work with people who don't think like you. Um, you know, with the unlike-minded, not just the like-minded. And and so that I love that. Um, oh God, I think it's Cicero. I can't remember, but you know, it's an ancient Roman philosopher. But that quote of you know, there's there's nothing more desirable to man than wisdom. And, mm. and though age takes away everything else, beauty, uh, you know, youthfulness, it undoubtedly brings wisdom. And, you know, I, I actually believe that. I think life is a journey towards something. And so, you know, the, again, if we're telling young people you're, the, you're your best self at 15, 18, 20, uh, what a terrible message when they've still got decades of life ahead of them. Uh, Josie, I wonder if this is a, a Western particularly Western problem. The rite of passage that you brought up is from a non-Western culture. And we're talking about this idea of, of markers and identities and, and growing into our age and um, realizing that with that comes this ability to see the gray areas and to have a more nuanced view. Do you think um, there, there's something that we can learn from our non-Western uh, neighbors around that might might help us navigate this? Yeah, give us a bit of respect as we get older. Um, yeah, no, that's right. I mean, I, I do think, you know, without being glib about it, there, that it, it's been a, an amazing uh, piece of Western history, if you like, that we have understood better how to raise children. And part of that is to go, you know, you're not just little adults. You know, you are, uh, you know, we're... The whole concept of youth and young people having a youth is is relatively new and it's really healthy. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It it's it's about I think you know looking to whether it's Maori culture, whether it's uh, cultures in the Pacific, where there is a place for everybody on the marae. You know, it's not that you are. Um, you know that if you're if you're a young person with a strong view, you have a you have a voice. And but if but equally, uh, you have a voice on the paipai, you have a voice in the farikai, you have a voice throughout that marae, um, no matter what your age. And in fact, you have a very clear role to play as you get older. And I think that's the thing is that you know we the, the OK Boomer thing is really ugly. That's a that's a really nasty. Uh, phase that we've gone through it's very dismissive isn't it it's like well you don't know what you're doing you had your chance you kind of get out sort of thing yeah okay boomer you're you're unfashionable uh you're probably old male and stale uh, um hey look i just want to i want i i i hear i hear all of this but i wonder if we're not if what we're what what's part of the the issue here is not just the overvalorization of of youth but a kind of abnegation of maturity and you do touch on this in your um in your piece Josie I I actually you know talking about those rites of passage what are the rites of passage that would exist for say in your 30s 40s 
50s, whereby you know that you're advancing to the state of Ciceronian uh, wisdom. I don't think we have it in materialistic, consumeristic society um, in the West. It's absent. So with older people somehow at sea and the only, the only anchor being this overvalorization of youth, older people then try to, um, try to behave like young people. So what are young people going to do? They're going to disrespect them. Yeah, that's right. So that's the kind of, yes, the you desperately try and hang on to your youth. And again, that's something, you know, as a, as a, as a woman, you know, middle-aged woman, you're kind of told that if you can maintain your youth, if you can look youthful, you know, if you can, uh, if someone says to you, wow, you look, you know, you don't look your age at all, you go, oh, thank you very much. Well, what a odd thing like of course it's like haven't I wait wait haven't I experienced failure um self-disgust um low moments Uh, what do you mean I don't look my age I want to look my age I am my age how dare you how dare you yes to quote Greta Thunberg how dare you and and that's right It, it and it's the real shame that we're not allowing people to age gracefully and but the reason is that you're you're absolutely right there is this sense that you've got to sort of hang on to youthfulness um and and it's difficult you know in the workplace it's it, it it's really hard if you're in your 50s and you're coming back into the workplace there's a really interesting a theory that was put out by a woman called Anne-Marie Slaughter, who was Hillary Clinton's um, foreign affairs advisor. So she left her job with Hillary Clinton and everyone went, how could you do that? You know, you're in your 40s. You'll never get back on the career trail. You know, you'll, you'll just go back and, you know, teach at a university. And she made the point in a big Atlantic article that, you know, you've got to think about a woman's career, and I would say not just a woman's career, but but anybody's career, as a as an arc over your entire lifetime, and that you will take time out to look after kids, you will take time out to go part time, you'll step off, and you'll come back into the workplace, maybe in your 40s, maybe your 50s, maybe your 60s, you know, even into your 70s. But the idea is that you, you know, the idea that you peak at a certain time, you peak in your 30s or you peak in your 40s is, is not true. And especially not true for people who have kids who take time out. So we've got to, we've got to completely rethink work that you, I, I don't think I've done my best work and I'm in my 50s. You know, why would we not think that you can still be the best that you can be in your life in older age? Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring up that peak kind of time, you know, where, you, where people say, oh, I've peaked at a certain age. And I still haven't discovered what that age is yet, Josie. I don't know. For ages, I felt too young. Then I felt too old to do some certain things. So I don't know. Is there an age? Do you, you know, is, do you have that in mind? Do you Have you discovered the magical age where you're just right to get everything done? Well, I did uh, take my daughter a few years ago when she was about 15 to a Nicki Minaj concert and I sat there thinking I have no idea when one song has finished and the next one's begun I thought okay this it's time for me not to be going to pop concerts with my daughter that was, no that was exactly the rite of passage I've been I've been begging for Josie which is when you're sitting there with your arms folded and a face like a dropped pie at a Nicki Minaj concert then that's perhaps a sign that you are you are longing for more durable things, uh, uh, different, yeah. you know, different 
enjoys different delights. I'm longing for some Duran Duran, Tim. <laughs> yeah, although I have to say, Tim, I did have a pink baseball cap on with Nicki Minaj on it. So my glum face and my folded arms, you know, it was like that was a really pathetic moment. Um, so, yes, there, I mean, there's nothing worse than, uh, uh, yeah, adults trying to kind of you know, hang on to a youthfulness. That's that. But the you know the reason they do that is that the, you know you're kind of terrified that you're losing relevancy, and so we have to sort of push back against that. We we certainly have politicians, don't we? I mean, I'm thinking of some of our politicians. Well, Grant Robinson was one where he kept talking about himself as. Um, a sort of student politician for a long time as a sort of representative of young labor and so on. And there was a point where he just quietly stopped doing that. Um, and, and I think he'd, he'd almost gone beyond, beyond the age where you were allowed to do that. He was already in his sort of forties and, you know, you, you don't get to represent the youth after that. No. Hey, look, I'm just in the spirit of offering something positive uh, for for listeners to take away. How do we defend against these attitudes that we, um, well, I think we're in general agreement that there is a, there is a poisonous and toxic aspect to them. Uh, when, we, when you read something uh, on a news site, when you hear something, what is it that you can do to go, okay, you know what, this isn't, this isn't correct. There's an assertion being made here, say, for example, that the generations are at war. In fact, they're interconnected. Um, what advice do we have for people um, so that we can, we can at least start to build a bulwark against this kind of wrong thinking that, uh, that is corroding our relationships with, between the generations, our ability to build something amazing in this country? Yeah, I mean, I think the, one of the first things that needs to happen is that we need to actually see more diverse faces generationally uh, in our media. And I mean, you know, you and I know, Tim, it's in the, in a lot of the media, TV news, um, uh, even in radio, but more so in TV, it's, there's this tendency to think that you've got to have, you know, the youngest, you know, most vibrant person fronting your news or doing your journalism or whatever. So, I mean, I think that, and that's not the case in other countries, not the case in America, where there are multiple generations, you know, on TV. So I think that's the first thing is making sure that, you know, in the in the work that we do, that we're actually profiling people across different generations who've got different perspectives. But, yeah, I do think it's just in a narrative, it's about celebrating um, celebrating, not downgrading maturity, but actually celebrating what comes with maturity and, and that that sense of depth of, of wisdom, call it, or, or knowledge or whatever. Mm. And resisting that thing, I think, all the time, that thing of like, you know, oh, you look younger or, you you know, how, how, how more valuable you are because you don't look as old as you are. <laughs> kind of resisting that stuff and just, you know, just not doing it. Yeah, and, and indeed, um, I think affirming the, the importance of, of that, of, of age, uh, and the, I was about to say utility, and I paused there because uh, because I don't want to. One of the I, I think one of the things that help, or one of the pressures that helps create wisdom is the waning of physical resources. So you do you are tempted to become more more, more reflective 
and uh, you are you know th- thrown into a different you know you, you're not you're not there with the CND uh, marching outside the base um, and shouting at, um, at at American soldiers you, you you're standing back and you're going um, okay so what's really going on here so I think I think the question and this is something you you, you touch on in your um, in your piece for Flint and Steel is that the, let's look at the real issues here so the real issue might be something like uh, economic inequality. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's not assign uh, generation a generational baggage to this because that's distracting. Yeah, and, and actually any identity is distracting, right? So it's mm. like, yeah, if you, if you can name the problem, get the problem definition right, and then work out, okay, you know, wh- who's best positioned to solve this problem? What And what do we know about the people who are at the receiving end of this problem? But you're right. I, I think you know, any stereotype is unhelpful. So, you know, not all Pākehā people are richer than non-Pākehā people. Not all boomers are richer than millennial tech entrepreneurs, for example, you know, so so the idea that you've got, you know, oh, boomers are, are, are wealthy and they've wrecked the planet is, is you know, it's not just doesn't stack up as, as a fact. And so moving away from those stereotypes, being really clear about, you know, who's actually suffering, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Is it economic inequality? Um, is it climate change? Is it house prices? Um, you know, a, a woman on her own in her 50s, trying to get a house is just as as needy, just as in need as a young person trying to get a house. You know, it's not, there shouldn't be this sort of distinction that somehow you can be on this pyramid intersectionality of need where your need is less or more than someone else. It's like, you know, who knows what your circumstances are. So I think, yeah, but moving away from stereotypes is really important this is revolutionary what you're saying is we need to step away from um, uh, narratives that are associated with the individualization of victim victimization and maybe move to a thing called wait are you saying objective truth I can't believe it stop the podcast <laughs> now yeah I mean it's it's about I mean growing up to me it is about you know refusing to go back into those you know very childlike, ideals that seemed so easy when you were younger but it's also about refusing to get cynical and resigned that there's nothing you can do to change the world in other words you know I believe I'm just as capable in fact I think I'm more capable of changing the world for the better now than I was when I sat down with the BBC age 13 or 14 um, pontificating on my views of the threat of nuclear war. I like um, that you have um, kind of outlined this way of getting out of our certainties because we can get trapped it's easy to go back to what we've always said the the old phrases and the memes but growing up it it, it takes work (laughs) it takes work to be to be uh to mature and to grow and um i like that you you said in your article that there's plenty of people who are vital engaged and determined to be surprised and surprising into old age. And I think that that takes a lot of work for us to do that. Um, how could we maybe cultivate some of those ways of being surprising, do you think, Josie? Well, I mean, the first thing, I guess, is to be surprising, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> ourselves. And, and you know, I always think, God, I've never been the age I am now. It's the first time. It's surprising for me to, to discover I'm in my 50s, you know, um, and so every age you're at is the first time you've been that age. And and so I think it's 
partly it's down to us all to to constant. You're right. I mean, to me, I hope life at, at its best feels like a, a constant stripping away of any of the rubbish that you've built around yourself to tr- to, to fully know yourself and fully fully be present in the world and and so you're kind of hopefully constantly becoming a better version of yourself I mean not not always it's like one step <laughs> forward two steps back but so I, so it's partly down to yourself but I, I do think it's just again it's coming back to that making sure that you know it, you, you turn TV on in America you're going to see people in their 70s you're going to see people fronting shows in in their 60s and 50s and 40s and um you know you're not you're not going to just see people straight out of journalism school um and so the you know being pre- I think it's employers being prepared to realize that everybody of every age has something to offer in any workplace um but also just changing the narrative around it you know making sure that that we are celebrating this sort of, you know, evolution to something that's a bit wiser than we were when, when you know, we were queuing up to kiss Simon Le Bon at Duran Duran concerts. I think too, just being able to, you know, when we see these representations of youth or age, being able to mentally connect them. So you look at someone, say, uh, in their 60s and say, that person may well be a grandparent of someone in Gen Z. You look at a Gen Zer and say that person is connected to, say, a Gen Xer, uh, and so it goes. So we get that sense of the totality of, uh, of of society and the generations, and the generations working together rather than pulling each other apart and pulling against one another. If you can, you know, make that mental just a, you know just just assign that mental tag to it. It's like you know what you're actually a grandchild, you're a grandparent, you're a mother, you're a father. We all do have each other's interests at heart because we're interwoven societally. Yes, we're different, but ultimately we're trying to create something that is great for, or that is that is helpful for all of us uh, because we are all connected. To to assume otherwise, uh, it just is just a recipe for division, and we need less division now rather than more. Exactly, a great call to to end on the podcast there. Um, Tim Wilson, Josie Pagani, thank you so much. A great reminder that we are all, uh, we're all in this together. We're all part of that great fabric that is woven throughout the world and we all need each other. No generation is an island. Uh, we can't do it all ourselves. So thank you, uh, both of you so much for, for being here. And, uh, it's been a really productive and interesting conversation. Kia ora. Thanks. Thanks guys. Bye.